This is Tom Fox. Welcome to this episode of Compliance Into the Weeds. Before we get started, I would like to tell you about a very interesting podcast series I'm running currently this week in honor of the 100th anniversary of the publication of James Joyce Ulysses. I took a look at Ulysses for the 21st century compliance professional. It's on the podcast Greeting and Felicitations, one episode posting each day this week. In this episode of Compliance Into the Weeds, Matt and I take a deep dive into three recent situations involving compliance and uh, either retaliation or how compliance is helping a corporation move forward. Compliance Into the Weeds is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. Before we get started, a quick word from our sponsor. Hello, everyone. Tom Fox, the voice of compliance, back again with Matt Kelly, the coolest guy in compliance for another episode of Compliance Into the Weeds. Matt had the uh, temerity to post a really funny blog post today, so we've uh, ditched our normal, very scholastic, academic, deep-dive approach of compliance commentary to have some fun, Uh, because when you entitle a post, Crazy Compliance Officer News... And it comes from Matt Kelly. You know you're going to have some fun. So, Matt, uh, with that long-winded introduction, welcome back. Hello, Tom. It is uh, good to be back here. So, um, you posted crazy compliance officer news. We have had some crazy stories uh, lately. But I think, Matt, uh, at least I took away a larger point, which is uh, perhaps more serious that we, we can maybe expand on at the end, is the not only serious nature of the compliance position, but it's an important its importance within an organization, both from uh, the culture standpoint. The Department of Justice reminds us uh, of a corporate culture is now paramount, but also really to maintain efficient business operations in a company. And I can't really think of a better way to start uh, that discussion than around the. Uh, story of uh, Sheryl Sandberg, the COO of Facebook, announcing on June 1 that she was leaving the company after 14 years. Uh, And then you uh, correctly noted the Wall Street Journal uh, reported that Facebook has been investigating Sandberg since at least last fall uh, for her use of corporate resources to plan her wedding. When I read that, Matt, um, I was uh, fairly aghast that something which seemed to me um, not very significant, such as the having your staff help on a wedding planning, would rise to the level of an internal investigation. But it turns out there was a little bit more than that. So, uh, what did you see that uh, really uh, led you to write that? Uh, write about that. Well, uh, I mean, I'll be intru- be honest. You know, so first for everybody listening, this uh, we've have a wave of somewhat crazy, good, bad, and ugly compliance officer in the news type of stories here this week. So I wrote up a quick rundown of a whole bunch of them. And Sheryl Sandberg was the first. Uh, So yes, as you noted, Tom, uh, Ms. Sandberg announced that she was resigning from Facebook sometime soon. I think she has already left or she's leaving any day now. After 14 years as COO of the company, 
uh, built it up uh, with Mark Zuckerberg to be this great global behemoth in social media. But anyways, out comes this news that actually she also was under investigation for various potential improprieties. Nobody has officially declared Sheryl Sandberg uh, accused her of anything. But uh, the rumor mill, as reported by the Wall Street Journal, is that uh, she had been using corporate resources to support her personal interests, such as her impending marriage. Uh, She is getting married for the second time after her first husband very tragically died suddenly several years ago. Uh, So now she is getting married to a new man sometime, I believe, next year. They both are bringing children together. So I get it that it could be a big, complicated mess. But uh, there's that, that she maybe was using corporate resources for that venture. Um, There was some rumors that she's using her Facebook resources to support her new book, Option B. That is her second book that really was about how she recovered from the death of her first husband. I think she has various other philanthropic ventures that she is working on on the side. Um, Why do we in compliance land really care about any of this? Because, uh, again, according to the Wall Street Journal, a lot of this stuff came to light after Facebook hired its first ever chief compliance officer last year. Uh, They hired Henry Moniz, and he started in February of 2021. He implemented a raft of compliance policies, and then shortly after that came into effect, those policies, um, now suddenly we have people apparently saying, well, Sandberg is doing this, she's doing that, and she'd been there for 14 years anyways. I suspect there's an awful lot of office politics going on as well that we don't know about and might not even be very relevant to compliance officers, but we had a compliance officer come in and try and revamp and restructure the company's conduct, and suddenly now we see that Sheryl Sandberg is leaving. Um, I'll be curious to see what might come of this Technically, Tom, this could be an SEC disclosure violation if uh, Ms. Sandberg was spending significant amount of company resources on her personal interests. That would count as executive compensation, which was not reported in the SEC proxy statement, which therefore you could say might be poor disclosure controls about what your senior executives are being paid for. And yes, ladies and gentlemen, the SEC does enforce that from time to time. So we could maybe see an SEC enforcement uh, action arise out of this. It's way too early to tell. Uh, But I do get the sense that it was the arrival of a compliance program at Facebook that kind of goosed this this news story along. So Matt, listening to your description, it almost sounds like a situation where you have a private company where someone runs the company uh, in a manner not required. Uh, of a public company and takes a lot of liberties with a lot of different uh, things. And then when it becomes public, they, of course, have to follow a different set of standards. Obviously, Facebook has been public for quite some time, but the um, requirements, there there was disclosure of non-monetary compensation in the form of security and tra- uh, travel on uh, corporate jets, which was reported. So so we've got that. I just can't imagine these other issues would ra- rise to a level of a material standard, uh, even if it's secretaries typing book, book drafts away. 
uh, or uh, even with the most intense wedding planning, and I have some experience in that. Um, <laughs> so, you know, the, the short answer is we don't know. Um, you know, maybe we will never know. Maybe, Tom, you are correct that all she ever did was have a staff assistant say, please tell my wedding planner I'm running late. That doesn't seem like an SEC worthy action to me. Maybe there's more. But uh, nonetheless, I am intrigued by the timing of all of this, that we see new compliance policies being implemented about executive conduct. And then several months later, Sheryl Sandberg is under investigation for something, allegedly. And then several months after that, she announces that she is moving on from Facebook. That's an interesting sequence of events. And that sequence of events was what really intrigued me about this story, Matt, because uh, to me, it really pointed up one of the things a compliance officer does and puts in these types of policies and procedures. Uh, But the second thing is the image of a high-ranking executive really does set a tone and perhaps... um, the company decided that uh, you really do have to play it on the straight and narrow, and the compliance officer was able to not only convince senior management, who I guess that means Mark Zuckerberg, uh, of that need, but they were able to put policies and procedures in place. And sort of, for me, that was the maybe bigger takeaway I took from that section of your story, that how powerful and important a compliance officer and compliance policies and procedures can be in an organization. That may very well be, yes. We, we have to stay tuned and see how this story evolves. So your second story of the three, I, I have to put in the craziest category. Um, and it <laughs> involves Janice Shivery, uh, formerly a CCO of Penn State. You want to take it from there? Sure. So this is a lawsuit that Ms. Shivery has filed against Penn State. And uh, actually, she was not the chief compliance officer at Penn State. She was a mid-level compliance function employee who was in charge of training and communications at Penn State in the late 2010s. Uh, Ms. Shivery was fired from Penn State in the summer of 2020. And now she has filed a lawsuit alleging wrongful uh, termination and discrimination and retaliation against her by the university and its former chief compliance officer, Kenya Mann Faulkner, who Ms. Faulkner was head of ethics and compliance at Penn State from 2018 through to, I think, late 2021. Uh, she is now the head of ethics and compliance at Emory University down in Georgia. Uh, but Ms. Shivery basically says that she observed uh, Ms. Mann, uh, Ms. Faulkner, being uh, discriminatory towards male employees in the university. And Ms. Shivery then reported that about Ms. Faulkner to the university's legal function. And she said after she filed that complaint, uh, she suffered retaliation. She was denied an expected promotion. She was denied other jobs that she had applied for. And eventually her role was eliminated. And Denise Shivery says that all happened under false pretenses and she was simply fired for speaking up about anti-male discrimination within the university's ethics and compliance function. So that's what's going on. I have not uh, heard Ms. Faulkner's side of the story. I'm not sure that she is going to or would want to speak out about this. Penn State uh, says that it does not discuss pending litigation, so it has nothing to say All we have at the moment 
are allegations in a lawsuit that Denise Shivery filed in federal court in Pennsylvania, uh, I think on June 2nd it was. So there's that, and yet another compliance officer in the news. So what intrigued me about this, Matt, was this is uh, one of a series we seem to have seen over the past 12 to 18 months. And the question I wanted to pose to you is you've had your finger on the, the pulse of compliance officers in the compliance profession for quite some time. And are we, in? I guess from your perspective, are we seeing more lawsuits alleging uh, retaliation from compliance officers or are simply more being reported? You know, I, I keep a running tab, Tom, on compliance officers who claim that they suffer retaliation. Uh, and there is a claim, a steady stream of people claiming that. Uh, I, I don't know if there is an uptick in it or not. I have never kept a formal census on it. Uh, but I do think that, you know, you have to take all of these allegations with a grain of salt. You have to give the defendant the benefit of the doubt until this is all heard in court. Uh, we have, from time to time, seen people file complaints about wrongful di- discrimination or wrongful termination. Uh, when you know they really are just looking to save their own jobs, and there is no there there. I have no idea if this is the case or not with Denise Shivery, Den- uh, Denise Shivery or uh, Kenya Man Faulkner. All we have are the allegations laid out in her lawsuit. But um, I do think what's interesting is that she is saying the ethics and compliance function itself retaliated against her for speaking up. Uh, usually, when a compliance officer is complaining to me about retaliation. It's the legal team or somebody in executive management or somebody in the operating business units who say, oh, well, this compliance officer is a buzzkill, and so let's retaliate against them. It's stuff like that. It is not compliance versus compliance, internal complaints about each other. That seems to be the case here. Uh, Also, actually, does seem to be the case uh, with that J.P. Morgan compliance officer who filed a retaliation and discrimination complaint against J.P. Morgan, I want to say it was a couple of months ago, last year. Tom, I know you and I have talked about this. So there's at least two compliance officers who have complained that the compliance function itself has retaliated against them when they spoke up about what they perceive to be poor conduct among the compliance leaders. Matt, and our third story comes to us from uh, the Baltimore County School Board, and this involves a chief audit executive. You want to pick it up from there? Yeah. So, Tom, with all due respect to you saying the Penn State one was the crazy one, I think this is the crazy one. Uh, This is just nuts what the Baltimore County School Board has done. Uh, This is a 12-member board that is in charge of Baltimore Public Schools, 110,000 students or so. Uh, They basically, at the end of May, they fired the chief audit executive, Andrea Barr. Um, She had been there in the district for 36 years. She had been the chief audit executive for I'm not sure how long, but at least since the late 2010s. But what got to me is how the board fired her. They didn't fire her per se, but they needed seven board members to renew her contract. They had to affirmatively vote in favor of renewing Ms. Barr's contract. Only six of them did. <coughs> the remaining six either recused themselves or abstained from the vote. So the board couldn't get a majority to vote to keep Ms. Barr in and to renew her contract. So her contract expired and she is constructively fired. 
as of June 30th. Uh, but what is particularly galling here is that uh, this comes after Ms. Barr has performed audits on the committee itself several times in the last several years to point out that the committee is uh, dysfunctional, wasting taxpayer money, going over budget. She filed a complaint against the board that it had created an hostile work environment for her. Um, I think she complained about that specifically about the audit committee of the board, which technically would be her boss. So there's a lot of acrimony here. So the board does this dodge and weave routine where they don't renew her contract, which makes her get fired for all practical purposes. And then the kicker is that most of the people here who have done this, they're leaving the school board anyways. So their final terms are up. They're not going to come back. So they are shoving her out the door before their final act, which is to go on out the door themselves right after her. And it's really just quite a thing to uh, see that this is how a chief audit executive apparently gets repaid for speaking truth to power and telling power, guys, you're pretty dysfunctional. So this, uh, this story uh, was, uh, as you suggest, very intriguing. The question I uh, thought about here is, does she have recourse uh, because is this uh, if she if if she's on an annual or other contract that has to be renewed uh, and it's political, essentially uh, position approved by the political board, which is the school board, is there any right uh, for a claim against retaliation, or is that just uh, the the nature of a political position in any political system? Uh, well, the short answer for me is I don't know. And if there are labor lawyers who are listening to the podcast, by all means, you know, drop me and Tom a line because I would love to know what sort of recourse she might have. But we do know that she had a contract that was expiring at the end of the month. A board is not obligated to renew the contract. Um, they're going to let it fulfill its term and then expire. Uh, and the board did act within their you know, legal duties. You know, they're all still on the board, at least for now. I'm not sure when most of them are leaving, but apparently most of them are leaving very soon from the school board. Uh, and either they're term limited out or they're leaving for other positions or they're not getting renewed. But, you know, the whole board is going to be turned over anyways. Um, and there was even a story from the local NPR station in Baltimore that talked about how in 2020, I think it was, uh, a consultant who had been hired to review the Baltimore School Board's doings, functions, uh, basically said, you guys are dysfunctional, and for the sake of the students you're supposed to be caring for and representing, could you please try and get along? Well, apparently not. Uh, several former school board members are saying that this is a travesty. Uh, Ms. Barr has not yet made any public comment about it, which to me shows she's probably the smartest one of the bunch. Um, but it's just, it is a sad statement. And I do hear this a lot, actually, from auditors and particularly auditors at public agencies where you can have a lot of small-minded parochial people with parochial interests and petty vengeances that come to bear. And all the auditors are trying to do is point out that a public entity might be screwed up. Now, newsflash for everybody, public entities are always screwed up. I have never met a public entity in my 30 years of reporting where they weren't somehow involved in petty intrigue or they were squandering money or something. Every single one, everyone. 
And we should not be shocked that this has happened. But it is still a pretty sad statement when the audit executive charged with just pointing out where we could go better and where we are going wrong. This is how the Baltimore School Board repays her by not even doing the, the service of giving her, looking her in the eye and firing her, just kind of ducking out, letting her contract expire, and then they all go out the door after her. That is a shame. So I guess uh, in reading these, as I mentioned when we started, Matt, it, it brought up some larger issues that I thought were important. Uh, one that I tried to touch on with the Facebook Cheryl Sandberg, Sandberg story was really the importance of compliance. And here we end with internal audit. You hit upon uh, sometimes you do have to speak truth to power, even if it's a, a difficult conversation. Uh, but I guess the other thing that struck me is you have to be willing to have those difficult conversations uh, when push comes to shove, sometimes in the compliance profession. And that's just the nature of, of what compliance officers do. I think that is true. Uh, it is a lamentable fact that you will probably have to have difficult conversations and you might very well wind up having to pay a price for that. Uh, that is a crappy part of the job, but we'd be foolish if we said that doesn't happen. It does happen. It does happen on a regular basis, unfortunately. But uh, I've always said I have great admiration for compliance officers, and that is yet another reason why, is because a lot of them, generally, they do try and step up and do the right thing, and uh, good for them for it. But occasionally we wind up talking about issues like this. Well, and the other thing I think it's important that uh, a function you have served by uh, writing about it, so there's some knowledge in uh, the compliance profession about it, and perhaps that extends our podcast too, but to let people know that they're not alone and there may be uh, routes they can take if they choose to file a retaliation lawsuit, but um, there are others out there who have gone through what you have gone through or may go through, and you're not alone. Very true. This is Tom Fox again. Thank you for listening to this episode of Compliance in the Weeds. We're going to link to Matt's blog post in the show notes. I hope you will check that out as well. I hope you'll join Matt and I again for another episode of Compliance in the Weeds next week. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.